Hi, I'm Ron Chaney. You're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Everyone up. Everyone in. Time for the fun to begin. Come along with me, Lookout Bear, on a brand new adventure. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Michael B. Moynihan here. Zubily Zoo's resident adventurer, Lookout Bear. I, along with my friends Paul, Hello, Zubaroos! And Billy, Welcome to the show! have teamed up to bring you an informative and entertaining deep dive into the loving world of Zubily Zoo, one episode at a time. So please, buckle up and join us for. When you're in Zubily Zubily Zoo, Zubily Zoo, Magic and wonder are waiting for you. So come on with us now and discover the wonder of you. Welcome to Zoomily Zoo. That's right, you can listen to the brand new Zoobly Zoo podcast, dropping the 1st and the 15th of every month, wherever you get your podcasts, or at electronicmediacollective.com slash pod. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to a monstrous episode of Moose's Monster Mash. I'm your host, Moose. Today's guest, we're going to talk hot rods, monsters, and horror. Joining me today is none other than America's favorite werewolf, Eddie Munster himself, Mr. Butch Patrick. Hello. I don't know whether I should howl or say hello. (laughs) You can howl hello Bark at the moon. <laughs> hey, there you go. How are you, Moose? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing? Doing fine. Doing fine. Just uh, finished off a big weekend, so all good. Getting uh, ready for another one next week. But in the meantime, let's find out what's going on with the Moose's Monster Mash. Touring around with the uh, Monster Coach. It is in my trailer behind my truck. Yes, it is. Yeah, and that's actually an interesting place to start. You you picked that up off of. Uh, Somebody that was working uh, haunted houses, didn't you? Well, haunted attractions, I apologize. Yeah, he uh, uh, years ago, about 10 years ago, I went into a place called Luray, Virginia to the, um, oh gosh, what was the name of it? Uh, I can't even remember the name of the place, but it was in Luray, Virginia. And they had hired a gentleman dressed up as Grandpa Munster to come pick me up in a Munster coach to take me to the... Uh, to the uh, destination and and we became friends and he was a gearhead and i'm a gearhead and i wound up buying his uh, monster coach and dragula from him about probably about seven years ago maybe nice yeah uh being a gearhead what was it like because i heard in another interview you you got to go hang around with uh like the godfather of custom hot rods at his shop, what what was it like hanging out with uh, George Burris? It was great. It was really really cool. It was one of my favorite things to do when the Munster Coach was used in a show. I got to ride in it usually, and uh, it meant that we would be outside the sound stage, which was nice to see the sun occasionally. And then on Wednesdays, I had a little 
routine where I would uh, leave for an hour and a half lunch and I would be able to go to my hobby shop to pick up some slot car track or whatever I needed for my slot cars. And then I would go by George's shop and see what he was up to. So I had this great little weekly regimen and George always allowed me to come in and, you know, kind of wander around and, and peek and stuff and ask questions and do all the things that kids like because I was building models that he had created the cars for. And I was, uh, you know, very enamored by the whole thing. So he be, he became a friend and remained a friend until his passing a few years ago. Man, I I couldn't imagine. Yeah, as somebody you know who like you, you look at iconic TV cars, he you know he's had his hand in pretty much all of them. Yeah, no, he was the and the funny thing about it was he went through you know in the forties, late forties, early fifties, he was doing you know basically Mercury's and chopping tops and you know and this and that. So he was doing private cars and stuff just in the in the 50s which was very popular then he saw a need and a market for supplying cars to movies so he started doing b movies that you know with sweater girls and drag you know uh, uh, black top dragsters and all these b movies for the drive-ins during the 50s he was involved in that and then at the same time he started doing custom work for for movie stars so by the time the television shows wrapped around he had already established himself with celebrities and movies, and then he started doing TV cars. So he was a very good businessman and a marketer. Oh, yeah. You can go to just about any car circle or just any like vehicle circle, say his name, and everybody knows who he is. And it, it, it's interesting because you don't get that with many car guys. There, there's not too many people who have had their hands in like the car world. That well, I used I used to mention to people because I would always take people out to his shop to show them something special because it was always open to the public and he was usually there, very accessible and the fact that we were friends. But I told people I said, you know, I'll put George Barris's Rolodex up against anybody's in Hollywood for as many people as he's met and as many people as he knows. And I mean, the A list stars needed to have a George Barris car, the 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 movie producers and the studio heads needed to have George Barris vehicles. So. You know, with the Batmobile and the Munster Coach and the General Lee and the, and the Knight Rider and then, you know, Kit and all, all of these cars that he had a hand in doing, not to mention the outrageous customs that he did as well. I mean, you know, you, everybody thinks of Big Daddy Roth. Well, Big Daddy did a lot of great stuff, too, as did, you know, Jim, G, uh, Gene Winfield and, and um, oh, God, there's um, um, uh, Daryl Strawberry, uh, Starbird, excuse me, Daryl Starbird and uh, Dean Jeffries. But a lot of them had... Um, you know, they, they were associated with George, some of them in the early days of their careers as well. So George knew everybody and everybody knew George. You're absolutely right. Essentially, he was like the Lambo to the stars. I mean, if you had a George car, you made it. You know, that that, that was your uh, trophy as being an A-lister. It's like that, that, that was your unicorn. You know, well, I would go out there and see Sonny and Cher, and I saw Elvis's stuff. I saw Sinatra's and Dean Martin's and Sammy Davis Jr. And you, um, yes, you were a um, you needed to have a Barris custom, uh, Bo Derek. Uh, the list goes on. John Lennon, his wall, because you know, he would never let you take pick up a car without taking a photo with him. He was he was a, you know he was really crazy about photos. So his wall of fame uh, is extraordinarily. I mean, it's 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 um, it's extraordinarily huge. So let's uh, shift gears. Uh, okay, over to the the, the show that kind of launched you into uh, the forefront of everybody's mind. The concept that started in the '40s and then kind of met with, I guess, Leave It to Beaver, uh, to answer 
uh, Adam's family, wasn't it? Uh, the Munsters? Yeah. Well, what, yeah, the, the people that had done Leave it to Beaver, they actually did Amos and Andy in the 50s, then Leave it to Beaver, then the Munsters. Um, and they, Joe Colley and Bob Mosier, were looking for uh, something to do. They were a universal um, staple out there. They had been there doing the Beavs, so they were very successful. And they wanted to uh, put something on the air that would, and they caught wind of the Adams family being in production. So they decided to complement that with a um, CBS equivalent called the Munsters. And what they did is Bob Clampett, the animator, had come up with an idea for a likable, lovable family of animated monsters back in the early 50s. It never went anywhere, but the idea was there. So they kind of took that idea and made it into uh, their own and used the Leave it to Beaver concept of the uh, you know the family unit and the warm family values and this and that, just trying to get along in life, but they happen to be monsters. And then they threw the unfortunate Beautiful Blonde in as a twist to kind of make it a play of don't judge a book by its cover we find her to be unattractive and unfortunate and she finds us to be a warm loving family looking not looking like anything out of the ordinary so that was the the interesting twist on it and it worked out really well it, it, it's fun especially looking back now it, it it kept the universal monsters in the forefront i mean every just about every one of them were uh represented in the main cast except i think yeah, I mean, Creature wasn't there, and the Invisible Man wasn't there. But otherwise, every major universal monster was in the main family. Actually, Creature was Uncle Gil. True. He appeared several times. Uncle Gilbert. Yo, know, and I, I guess, you know, the Invisible Man could have been there. We had Uncle Lester was the Wolfman. We didn't we didn't have the, and and we, we, made, we made mention of the Phantom. We never had the Mummy. Uh, and you say we didn't have the Invisible Man, but we had, you know, we had the big three. You know, we yeah. had Frankus, Dracula, and the, the Wolfman, and, the, and Uncle Gil. So we were good. You know, growing up, you know, Monsters and the Universal Era Monsters, that, that was, like, my entrance to... Uh, horror so th th there's a huge like I, I always go back to universal and that era is the uh starting point for where horror is today without yep. all that there isn't th th there isn't the cons that we the horror cons that we have there isn't the you know horror genre that we know today and i mean you were like right in the essentially right in the middle of that so i mean that's is that like mind-boggling at all, or? Well, it was. It was. It played into the um, into the success of the show because the Universal was the monster studio. Other studios featured, you know, Twentieth Century Fox was the disaster movie. MGM did musicals. You know, they all had their little fortes, but Universal was definitely the monster studio, and they did um, the sets and the lighting and the design and all the monsters were so popular that it really. It couldn't have worked at another studio. So what they did is they took the best of both worlds with a, a television show with Leave it to Beaver, uh, Warmth and Family, and, and tied it in with Universal Monsters makeup and special effects. And you had a, an interesting uh, uh, hybrid of what was going on. And then, you know, you got to remember the period and the time and the black and white programming and black and white television. A lot of things had to fall into play to make it work. And it, and it, and it did. And even if it was only on for two years, the staying power has been phenomenal well and what's interesting about the staying power is the way the stories were written and the storylines a lot of them are still relevant today i mean there's the the, the infamous father-son speech 
Yeah. And I, I mean, I say, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It gets shared almost every time there's uh, like a, a, a prejudice thing pops up. Yep. That, that thing yeah, goes it's, viral. Uh, I got a lot of uh, I got a lot of inquiries about that. It's like a hundred million shares and you know views and views and views. And yeah, it is. It's a very poignant. Uh, you know, it's it, it's it resonates well today, and it will continue to resonate well forever. It is what it is. Basic. It's simple, and it's honest. You know, and yeah, that, that's what you know. The the core of the show was just you know, it, it's it, it's weird because you have this family that like you said earlier, looks very, very different. But it's essentially a typical American family. It's just a very blended family. That was the uniqueness of it, and that's why it resonates so well. It was entertaining, and it was a believable family unit. Herman went to work. Lily kept the house. Grandpa went down in the dungeon and created wacky situations for the family to to weather and um and we had the beautiful niece going to college and you know living with us and eddie monster was a regular kid going to school and doing regular kid things you know little league baseball volunteering his dad to you know his hero was his father and he was always volunteering herman and herman never wanting to disappoint his son would always be the good dad and yeah it was really easy basic stuff but it was fun and it was um entertainment what, what was working on set as a uh child actor like i mean how how is it uh, getting direction as a kid? Well, um, you know, you you have responsibilities. You need to learn your lines and and be professional. And there's, um, you know, for me, the the two longest hours of the day were the hour to get to work and the hour to get home from work because we live quite a ways away. So you have to be there at eight. You have to leave at seven, which means you get up at six thirty. And then you get in the makeup at eight, you come out of makeup at nine, you get down to the sound stage. If they don't have any filming for you, you go into school, mandatory three hours. Um, usually, very rarely will you get three hours of school in straight. So you're in and out of school throughout the day. Hour for lunch. They give you an hour for recreation, they call it, you know, to not, not be on call. And then uh, three hours of filming and then an hour to get back home. So by the time you, know, you get up at 630 in the morning to start your day. And by the time you get home, it's about six o'clock as well. So it turns out to be like a 12 hour day. Luckily, we only did it three days a week filming. So on uh, Monday and Tuesday was an easy day of going in to read about 10 o'clock in the morning. They, uh, the adults would be done at 11. I would go to school from about 11 to 2, get home. You know, and then the next day, there'd be a little bit more rehearsal. We'd get there a little earlier. We'd get there about 9, go into school. Uh, rehearse usually we rehearse about an hour after lunch and then that hopefully by then i would be done with school about two o'clock again and get home so the, the only there's only like really three hard days which was wednesday thursday and friday and that's not just you know it wasn't, it wasn't so bad it was you know it was just a long day yeah the uh dynamic between yourself and fred gwynn where it was like the role role reversal of you know, you were the like wise beyond your years kid, and he was like the overgrown kid. Was that planned from the beginning, or was that just kind of like a happy accident and they went with it? No, I don't believe it was planned from the beginning. What the interesting thing about kid actors on series and stuff, uh, a lot of times kids are just, you know, they're sort of like an add on to the family to make the family unit believable, sort of like, you know, Dick Van Dyke show, uh, you know, uh, the, the kid, Larry Matthews, Richie, uh, but, you know, didn't have a whole lot to do. It was, you know, he'd come in and he'd say hi or whatever. But for some reason in the Munsters, 
Um, and yeah, and then you have shows like oh, you know, Andy and Mayberry and Leave It to Beaver and, and Dennis the Menace, where the kids, you know, the kids front and center all the time. But um, on the Munsters, it started off with just a regular. You know, Eddie was not really a main character. He was, you know, the kid, normal, normal type stuff. But they noticed that I could handle dialogue, and they noticed that there was a good um, chemistry between this very, very, very tall, childlike Herman and a very small, short in stature, adult, eight, nine year old looking kid who was doing dialogue like a thirty nine year old midget because that's what they used to call me. Mm. They said, "There's no way that kid's eight or nine years old. He's a thirty nine year old midget." So. What they did is they started writing good father and son scripts for me when it, when summer would roll around, when they had an extra three hours of filming every day, they would write scripts that featured Eddie and Herman or Eddie. So that's kind of came about once they saw that there, there was a, uh, there was a, a dimension there that they hadn't anticipated, which was the, the uh, Eddie, Eddie character being able to interact with the adults and, and hold his own with the dialogue. So, cause yeah, like you watch it and, you were set apart from, like you said, the other kid characters in other shows because you, you you very much had a kind of driving force on the on the show. Yeah, it was, it was very cool and it was good. I mean, I kind of didn't like it at the time because I just wanted to go home. But you know, usually the more camera time you got, the better it is. But you no, know, we had a lot of great scenes where, as you said, uh, the teacher student reversal. I became the teacher and 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 Herman became the student, um, and it worked out really well. And and we had some very funny episodes featuring Eddie. And usually uh, it was with uh, with Fred, with Herman. A couple times it was with Grandpa. Um, but usually a couple times it was with Lily, like when we did Zombo and she took me to the studio and, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it was it was balanced out between. But I, I was lucky that I became a uh, somewhat of an equal cast member as far as um, character development. So, yeah, like you, you weren't just like a talking set piece. Yeah, like most uh, kids were back in that era, and yeah, even today, really. Yeah, and that was cool because I had no idea that other kids in Hollywood were jealous of me because I was talking to them at a, at a show, you know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, and they go, "You know how you know how jealous we were of you?" I go, "What do you mean?" You're like, you know, you were on the Dick Van Dyke show, and you were on this, and you were on that, and they go, "No, but you were on the Munsters, and that was the coolest show." <laughs> I go, I go, well, thank you guys. I wasn't aware that there was a, uh, you know, there was a bunch of other kid actors that were looking at, you know, looking at what I was doing. I was pretty much, I mean, when Peter Robbins came and guest starred on, uh, on the Yes, uh, no, not Yes, uh, Rockin' My Baby, um, he was the voice of Charlie Brown. And I thought that was cool. I thought, oh my God, we got Charlie Brown. And then Bill Mooney, you know, he came over and did come back to Little Googie and uh, he was on Lost in Space, which I thought was great. So, there's an example of someone sort of becoming a, a larger than life character. Dr. Smith and Will kind of took over the show. Yeah. Now, later in your career, you've revisited Eddie as an adult a couple of times. What was that like, like envisioning him as an adult? Uh, well, let me see here. Are you talking about um, on TV or are you talking about Eddie of the Monsters, the rock band, or are you talking about the cameo we did with Edward Herman? All of the above. All of the above. Uh, it's interesting to. Um, it, it's it's weird. Like people say, what's it like to be on TV? What's it like to be Eddie? Mount? I go, you know something. I don't. I've never known anything else. So I guess it's good. I've enjoyed it. He's been good to me. It's uh, been a good, a good run. It puts a lot of happy, smiling faces on people. They seem genuinely happy to have met me, and they always come up and say kind, wonderful things about the memories that the show had 
for either themselves or a loved family member or, you know, you were part of this extended family all over America that was watching you and growing up with you. So it's pretty wonderful all in all. And as far, and as, far as being involved down the road and seeing, I loved when, we, when the four of us all sat at the table for the uh, for Edward Herman to take our order. And now that, you know, Yvonne's gone and Al's gone and, and Pat's going to be 85. Um, it was nice that we had that moment, you know? And now, obviously, there's the Rob Zombie reboot coming. Yeah, yeah, Rob Zombie's reboot. I, I actually uh, did the commentary with Rob uh, in December of 19 for the new Blu-ray, Munster Go Home. And we had met briefly years before, but we spent a few hours together in the uh, studio and had a really nice conversation. He's now doing the Munster movie. I recently was at his house and brought my Munster coach out for him to drive through his uh, – through his town in Connecticut. We had a wonderful time. Sherry Moon jumped in back. And now we're, uh, you know, we're, we're in communication quite often. And uh, he's, uh, he's going to help me launch my new All Things Monster YouTube channel here. And I'm keeping an eye on the uh, production schedule of his movie. So I'll be kind of like the, the Hollywood reporter occasionally chiming in to let <laughs> you know the progress of Rob Zombie. Nice. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Because there's a lot of, people that are thinking that it's you know oh it's rob zombie he's gonna you know rob zombie it up but whereas he's he's a super fan i don't think it could be in any better hands no it's gonna it's gonna be just fine um i've seen i've seen some stuff i'm privy to a few things and uh, i have full confidence in him i also know that universal studios is very protective of their um franchise so him being a fan and just because he the, his stage presence and his music and his movies, you know, are basically that they're entertainment. Yeah. And they're movies. And, you know, you can turn it on and you can turn it off and you can go a different direction. And uh, he's a case of the consummate professional and he happens to be a big Munsters fan. So I believe that he will do a really good job. And I think everybody will be pleasantly uh, not surprised. I think they'll. I think they'll be happy. I don't think. I, I don't think pleasantly surprised would be the proper word. I think that just because he's done some horror movies and he's got a certain style, that doesn't necessarily mean he only does that. No, it's like this is the most excited about a reboot I've been in years. Well, me too. I'm. Uh, you know, it's 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 exciting, and uh, I think it's going to be. Uh, I, I. I. You know, there's there's a couple of things that are that are really going to, you know. Uh, surprise people in a good way so i'm i'm crossing my fingers and i know it'll uh it'll, it's going to be good and it's also a lot of fun for me because it sort of puts the monsters in a in a social media buzz which allows me to help do what i like to do and i like to help him and he likes to help me so it's all good oh yeah sad i know we have to wrap up soon so uh what uh projects do you have coming up uh, well, uh, I do have a, um, a pilot that's over at Discovery right now. It's called the Toy Scout, which is Joel McGee is America's Toy Scout. And it's kind of like American Pickers, just exclusively for old collectible toys and toy collectors around the country. I'm his uh, I'm his Frank. <laughs> so I'm his wingman. Uh, and we have Macabre Theater, which is a horror host situation with Ivana Cadaver and myself. It's been on the air for the last 20 years uh, on YTA, you know, YouTube America. So that is uh, going to get rebooted up and we're going to start doing some current ones because the ones that are on right now are the 62 episodes that we did back 
in maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. So we're going to do new versions and new variations while looking back at what we did then. Yay. And updating it to now, uh, which will be cool. And then I have my YouTube channel, which is All Things Munster. And I actually have one called Coach to Coast, which is spelled with a K. Coach, like Munster Coach, to Coast with a K. And I've got, I think, 15 segments that we started back in 19 before the pandemic. Which is very much like Charles Kuralt. Uh, I don't know if you know who Charles Kuralt is. He was a gentleman in the 60s and 70s for CBS that went on the road in a, a motorhome back in the old days with the camera crew and a sound man and uh, did uh, Americana small town profiles of interesting people that weren't famous but that were important parts of American fabric and the American dream. So I'm picking up where he left off with the coach to coast and I'm going to integrate that into all things Munster. So it's going to be great. You don't just stay in one place. You like to stay busy, don't you? I'm a. I am the movie Nomadland. You know, it's so me. Uh, I've always been. Some people have that gene of travel, and some don't. And I definitely have got it like really large because I enjoy traveling a lot. And I found kind of a niche with my monster coach and my Dragula and my I have an escape room uh, in a trailer called a Mockingbird Maze which is a five puzzle two room monster inspired escape room in the front of this 34 foot trailer that I honestly don't even have time to do now so I'm probably going to wind up selling it to the guy that bought the Dragula but I will be traveling with my coach behind an RV and going into RV parks and what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to know everybody there and I'm going to interview them about what brought them to this point in their life, veterans, uh, patriots, um, Americans of all you know of all walks of life, but the people that are in the RV lifestyle, I think will be interested. They always ask me what I've been doing. Well, I'm going to tell them I'm going to be interviewing you and ask you what you've been doing, and I think it'll be a great channel, and I think it'll be really cool and, and profitable and, and marketable, and it'll allow me to continue to travel and do what I like to do, which is visit people on their home turf and have them show me what made their town fit you know famous or what's uh you know what, what what's interesting in it for, for the rest of america so i'm really looking forward to doing that top of doing all the conventions and meeting your fans and well yeah i mean as i'm <laughs> on the road i look for interesting stuff on the way i mean i'm like a the ultimate griswold you know um the only thing is i would know if wally world was closed <laughs> <laughs> so where can uh listeners uh keep up to date with you like social media and stuff Munsters.com is a very good way to start. That will give you my schedule and the Munster stores there and stuff. But as far as um, other things, we I have the official Munsters fan group, which has just turned into 27,000 members last week. So it's a pretty good size. It's monitored daily. It's very G-rated. If it wouldn't be on the show, it won't be on the site. So we, have, we love people, and they love it because they don't have to worry about any kind of uh, edgy, uh, off-color stuff, number one. And then number two, my I'm I'm most of a, mostly a Facebook guy, although I do have Instagram and I do have Twitter. Um, but if you go to Facebook, uh, Butch Patrick, Butch Patrick too, you'll find me and track me down. And pretty much that's about it. And listeners, those links will be in the episode description. You can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc. Butch, this has been great. Thank you, Moose. And and you know just gotta thank you for stopping in and hanging out and uh, i'm looking forward to the reboot and no problem you know it's, it's funny when we're mentioned wally world i can't i can't help but sign off of, oh, we're close folks the moose should have told you 
We're close for repairs. Come back and visit us. Until next time, horror hounds. Mash on. Okay, man. Thanks, guys. This has been Bruce's Monster Bash. Come back for more chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>